Hello, this is Dale Spencer, and welcome to the Be Your Best podcast. I'm here with a special guest today. His name is John Spencer, and we are brothers. John, how are you doing today? I'm well, thank you, Dale. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks Thanks for accepting the invitation. And John, you're right now you're the CEO of a startup company called XR Ready, and the vice president of Zealand Technologies that is also in the field of automated test electronics. And prior to that, you were the vice president of sales for another startup named Clean Slate that uh, has a device that cleans um, germs and viruses and bacteria off of various equipment. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And you've been in the field of medical sales for, I don't know how long has it been, more than a decade at least. Yeah, I think it's fair to say 12 years. Yeah. So last episode, uh, we had a guest named Spencer, who you know as well. And we talked a little bit about the problems that we face today in society and talked about a basic level of care. Um, we, we didn't get to touch on everything. We, we talked about stress, poverty, hunger, and homelessness. And we also talked a little bit about the different sectors of society that, that actually require help, um, specifically children and elderly and those with a handicap. And the main question was who, who is responsible for that care or who should be responsible. But one of the things that we didn't really get to get into, which was healthcare. And so, you know, you immediately popped into my mind because you've been involved in medical sales and you've been around hospitals and your wife uh, is in the same field as well. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you've done at Clean Slate and over the time as well with uh, all the medical sales that you did prior to that with Alamo Scientific. Sure, I don't happy to do that. So as, as I mentioned earlier, it's about 12 years of experience. Uh, the bulk of that experience came from being in the field. Um, the, we were at Alamo what's classified as a distributor or medical distributor. So typically we would uh, get our hands on and join forces with company that have new tech um, with limited funds. Um, you know, when you look at producing a piece of technology, you know, you're in it for roughly anywhere from one to uh, $2 million. So oftentimes when you're dealing with a medical startup and new tech, there's not a ton of money there to build a, an appropriate sales force throughout the United States. Um, you know, that at minimum would, would be... Uh, roughly maybe 25 reps, even, even if they're willing to do regions, which equals somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, three to four million dollars that you're having to pay out. So a lot of times those those companies in that position will search out distribution channels um, that have experienced reps uh, that can immediately get into the field and get feedback and return. They're willing to get a, a bit of their profit. So we had... Over the years at Alamo, I was there for almost 10 years. Um, we probably worked with 
20 to 30 new pieces of medical tech over that 10 year span. Uh, some made it, some didn't, um, some did really well. And we did, uh, the primary focus was critical care. Um, so that would be NICUs with the little babies, other the ICUs. NICU is a, a intensive care unit for neonatal, neonatal babies. Yes, correct. So this is babies that are born premature, usually, um, Ravini wears from, um, uh, half pound, 500 grams to maybe three pounds to put well, that inside. So these are very tiny, tiny beans. Um, obviously, uh, very complicated circumstances because you have the human body that's very undeveloped organs and, and those kinds of things. So um, we also did other critical care items where it'd be cardiac ICU, surgical ICU, medical ICU, um, as well as emergency care in trauma centers. Um, and it did a little bit with burn. So my experience is definitely on the uh, more emergent, emergency type care uh, where you're usually dealing with life and death circumstances okay. or some very serious issues. So the tech, the tech in that space, um, depending what it is, is highly valuable to as simple as commodity items. I mean, as you would expect to make any of these things work, it, you could be just talking about simple tubes all the way up to something, something very advanced. Um, so I run the gamut with that. Um, so that's kind of my experience with the medical. And then, as you mentioned, I moved on with one of the manufacturers we were working with uh, for infection control. So, do so you mind if I uh, jump in with a real quick question? Sure. Today's theme is about developing med medical technology mm -hmm. and the process of developing that technology. And you mentioned that you've worked with if I heard you correctly, smaller companies that yes. are trying to get their technology out into the market. Mm -hmm. If you had to guess, or if you don't know, just let me know. Um, what what percentage of the technology that is in the hospital comes from these type of companies? Oh, uh, I would guess twenty percent. Okay, and it's something around there. Yeah. And the remaining eighty percent? Well, it's a little bit nuanced in the sense that. Usually, by the time a smaller company attains some degree of percentage, they're typically bought up by a bigger medical company. So it's a little bit deceptive to break that down. Okay. Um, and it tends to be 20%, uh, which, which brings up a separate topic, which is budgets and contracts. So that drives a lot of the decision-making. Uh, in general terms, most hospitals uh, work with what they call GPOs. Um, what does GPO stand for? Um, a group purchasing organization. Oh, okay. So there's maybe... So the, the goal there is, in principle, it's a good goal. Is it really executed in the way it was intended, which was... If you take the collective buying power of many hospitals, then it allows the manufacturer to give them a steeper discount based in that volume. So these items would be something in the hospital or, or in the vendor world called something that's on contract. 
So a piece of tech is either on or off contract, uh, which are determined by categories that have been constructed by these GPOs. The hospitals in general terms want 80% of all their purchases coming from that contract. So they're, most of them have a percentage that's allotted to be off contract. And that's where you would expect the money for this new tech to come from. So the on contract um, budget is from known technology that they're purchasing that they've used in the past. Yes, it tends tends to be, it could be new tech, um, but it takes longer to get on contract. You know, it's, it's difficult if you're just starting out, it's a big decision you have to make. And it's a difficult one because the other challenge you have is you just set your market price. So you're going to give, the you you won't be able to do a a good, what I shouldn't say good deal, work real deals out because it can't be different than the contract numbers. Even at a higher commitment rate is if you're selling to the government. So the VAs, um, they have to be guaranteed the lowest price on the market. Uh, to be on VA contract. And the VA is what? A vet, the Veterans, uh, well, Veteran Affairs right. Hospital, I, I believe. I don't know the... the right, for, for, for mili- people that were in military. Military, yes. Military hospitals. Provided by the government. Correct. Care. Correct. That's how it's funded. Right. So they're guaranteed, or it's supposed to be guaranteed to get the best price. There's something very ironic about all of this because once you remove the free market, from negotiating what's the value of something is, even though you would expect um, those contracts have the lowest price, oftentimes all it really does is prevent a startup from being willing to give a really great deal to a hospital. They wouldn't be able to accept it. Because the incentive isn't there? Well, they that has to come off their 20%. Right. So they're very leery of doing anything off contract and to make it a little bit more challenging they a lot of these contracts or in some of the contracts the hospital will get money back for making their percentages so there's extra motivation there for them to to continue to write on contract um but it's you know it's in principle it's it's what it is trying to accomplish is a good thing um in practice you know, one could argue that if you left it up to the free market, you would always get your best price if there's multiple competitors. Okay. Uh, that would be another key to getting great prices is, is having multiple competitors. But uh, so startup companies tend not to be on contract. Um, so it's a, it's a different challenge. That's why the percentage isn't as high. Um, now, that is the beginning to getting on contract is getting traction in the hospitals because the GPOs are, it's, it's really just an interesting dynamic. The GPOs don't want to accept product that they can't move either. Right. So, uh, you would have to have some energy in the marketplace for the GPO to want to add you to the contract. They negotiate these, they don't, uh, I don't know the exact timeline on which contracts are negotiated when, uh, but, you know, it's not like it's done every day. They, right. they add and remove things off contracting. So right. it's it's a little bit complicated. It doesn't mean it can't occur. It's just a barrier um, 
you know, to get this new tech into the hospital. Okay. So, John, um, you, you were referring to the free market and competitors. Is who, who gets the best price out of that competition? And who, and who are the competitors? Right. So, uh, that's a great question. Um, so, when I spoke to the competitors, I'm looking at people in the market space, like who manufacture that have light tech, and the hospital is the one purchasing that light tech. And the value proposition we back to the hospital. Ironically, um, once something's on contract, it 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 almost doesn't allow that to occur. Where you could have a competitor that makes almost the same thing, and they're willing to give it to you cheaper than the contracted items listed, and they still sometimes will not do it. Uh, which is a little bit ironic, because the goal of the contract is to get to the best right. price in the marketplace. Right. But that's the nature nature of the business. Okay. Well, thank you uh, for helping us understand that. That's uh, new information for me and uh, I'm sure to our listeners as well. So we appreciate you sharing your expertise with us. Maybe we could also go into a little bit about what you were doing at Clean Slate. Sure. So I'm happy to do that. So Clean Slate, as you mentioned, was a startup company. Um, they, they were in a position where they had just built their first version of the product, the stock of maybe 30 units. Um, and it was a company that was built by um, kids fresh out of college, actually. And kudos to them. They had won a $500,000 uh, business award for wow. the best product. That's pretty cool. Out of a company in Chicago, actually, that, that gives awards, uh, which I think is great just in general. Um, a lot of passion. Um, but, uh, they needed a bit of experience, not really fully understanding what they were just walking into. And that's kind of where I came to play. I connected them All right. with them through Alamo. As I said, they were, we were actually going to bring them on as a manufacturer. Right. And, uh, we connected and, and we worked together for about a year and a half, um, setting a foundation, uh, to really try to grow the challenge we had there, um, was the energy that you have to get in the hospital to move tech. You know, one of the things that you start to learn if, if you work in that market long enough is whatever the priorities are tends to be where all the money goes. Um, so, for example, we're in a situation right now where money will be shifted into infection control. So with COVID and some of these... Um, COVID's just one, but you can look at SARS or C. difficile or, you know, a lot of different viruses and bacteria and some of these things in the hospital is a very dangerous place. Right. Um, you have open wounds and, and, uh, or access to blood. Um, I shouldn't say open wounds. But those, those are typically closed. Um, but there is, there is a high-risk environment there. So the energy being put into infection control right now is tremendous. Right. So oftentimes with technology, when you look at the hospital, it's, it, it's what do they care about at the time? And then the second decision they make is, are they pushing energy into commodity items or slash disposable items? Or is it capital assets? So just an example of that, an MRI machine is a capital asset. It's a piece of equipment that 
you know, they can depreciate over time. Whereas a disposable, you buy it, you use it, you throw it away. Um, and commodity items tend to be those items like band-aids and tubing and things that there's really no tech there. There's no advancement. We just need a lot of it. Gauze or something of this nature. Um, what's ironic a little bit is there was a time I was selling PPEs and I couldn't get anybody to buy them. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just so funny. And PPE is personal protective equipment. Yes. So we, I had face shields and... Uh, mask and gowns and gloves and all this kind of stuff and we had picked them up as a line and I because that stuff was seen as commodity yeah it usually fell to contracts uh, but it just goes to show you when you look at at medical technology a big part of it is just timing uh we had one product that didn't make it which i thought was a brilliant product and that's that's probably the hardest thing um to watch even on from the sales side, regardless of whether I made money on something or not, just that to watch people put so much effort into getting something to market and have so much passion for it, but it's just the wrong time. We had um, a, a, a piece of technology called BioHeart, okay. which I thought was brilliant. Right. So one of the things that happens in the hospital, and this is just an example of the impact of time, and what that really means to medical technology. It was uh, one of the, a lot of decision-making or some decision-making in the hospital is about what can they get reimbursed for and what's not reimbursed. That's a big part of their money flow. Um, most hospitals are non-for-profit. Um, there's probably across the United States, I don't know, maybe 5% that's for-profit. Okay. So it tends to be kind of surprising. In what sense? You said that the hospitals are nonprofit? Most of them, yes. Uh -huh. okay. Would you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I personally thought that they, most of them were for profit. Yeah. I, no, mean, I, I, I see a lot of uh, hospitals pop up and they look like expensive buildings and it seems to be a big business. <laughs> it is. It, in. Guess, I guess we can get into what what is really does nonprofit mean, right? Because that's kind of part of it. Like, if you're starting a business and it's a nonprofit business, but as a nonprofit business, you receive funds. Um, the you may do nonprofits that receive more funds than others, right? So this is where, and I don't want to get too lost in the weeds here, but when a, a an American Healthcare Act, or I guess what we call Obamacare. So one of the things that was a component of Obamacare, which like all things, even with good intentions, when you put them in practice, people find a way uh, to money and a path to execute. So reimbursement started being graded out in that first phase a bit different. Um, for example, a lot of the weight of how one got reimbursed had to do with customer surveys, for lack of a better term, their customer surveys. Oh, oh. So the two big complaints in the hospital is pain and noise. It almost doesn't matter where you go. 
it's it's kind of weird in in my opinion. It's it's something I don't fully understand because you know you figure if your body got worked on, you're going to receive a little pain, but people hate it, right? Um, and the other one is noise, meaning you can't sleep or can't get rest. Right. Again, it's not going to be comfortable. So these customer surveys, they call them HCAP scores. And forgive me, I can't remember the, the acronym, what it stands for. But that had a big influence on the reimbursement score. So hospitals got graded out. They had a starting position. And if you moved up by a certain percentage or moved down by a certain percentage, that would influence um, you know, your reimbursement. Who, who is doing the reimbursing? The government. The government. Yeah. So, so it's subsidized then. Yes. Well, and, and most all nonprofits are, even if, even the state subsidized care. It's one of the really interesting beyond, things. Beyond just insurance, this is yes, a direct. 100%. <clears throat> so one irony in our country when people think about our health care is we do already have a bit of a socialistic care. Um, for example, if you're at Parkland, which is a uh, um, here in the Dallas area, probably right. the most famous hospital mm -hmm. where JFK was taken to, yep. um, they receive funds from the state as you know that's because they cannot refuse a human being. Right. If you show up to Parkland, you have they have to give them even care. if that person can't pay or even doesn't have insurance. Hundred percent. Is it just emergency care? Doesn't have to be, but that's where it comes through. Like, again, like many things with well intentions or good intentions, for some, if they don't have insurance, that's where they go. That's part of the reason their ED is so full. For example, I was Matt, at, do you mind if I stop for a moment? Yeah. I, this is a pretty important area of what, what, what we're doing. Um, from a practical perspective, what do you think it looks like for someone going into Parkland? and uh, that doesn't have either insurance or money to pay um are, are they what does their care look like uh, in terms of waiting uh, what what they might be able to get done yeah i mean it's going to be a long wait because of the very same circumstances now i mean here just in the dfw area we have oh man there's three major systems you have baylor which, which now is Baylor Scott White. You have um, Texas Health Resources. So Baylor's like, I mean, if you took all the hospitals together, it's probably, I don't know, within a 50-mile radius, 50 hospitals. Wow. If all of them were doing this, the weight would be a non-issue, but that's not the case. So you're looking at Parkland and, and Dallas and then John Peter Smith in Fort Worth. These are the two hospitals um, where where those people are probably going. All right. Um, the challenge with that is because that's the case, you're going you're gonna to have a wait. In terms of care, I mean, I've been exposed to some of their staff at both of those hospitals. As you would expect, there's good people there. Yeah. Um, some of them, uh, Parkland more specifically, will have some of the UT Southwestern students and because it's they neighbor, they're really close to each other, so uh, they'll do some rounds there. But uh, Children's Hospital is really close to them as well. Um, it, it's one of the things that I guess challenges me a bit is I've, I've never really liked the way the perception of healthcare is in our country in terms of 
professionals. In our country? Yes. I think we have a lot of great people here. We have a lot of, I think it's similar to engineering. Like somehow um, the, some of the countries in the, uh, on the Asian continent have all the engineers. Well, that's just not true. We have some really great engineers here. And the same thing is with in the health profession, even at Parkland in John Peter Smith. Okay. Now, are they probably overworked and um, those kinds of things? Sure. I mean, are people having to wait a long, long time? Sure, because they have to prioritize the worst of the worst and get them first. This is not a a first get in line and you're next. Yeah, this they is triage. They have to triage everybody and because your volume is so high. And then once you go through that triage process, now you may be moving somebody down that probably needs to be in there. Yeah. Like you could literally have someone bleeding in the rating room. Having said that, um, they'll do everything they can, even in the triage process, to try to manage some of that. It's not, there's probably all kinds of pictures one could conjure up in their head with what a waiting room looks like. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a little bit slower, um, a little bit overworked. Well, but I would like to thank those of you out there who are working there and working hard. Um, we appreciate what you're doing. 100%. Hey, John, I wanted to um, ask you one question um, about the quality of care with respect to the new emerging technology and some of the difficulties that the the new technology faces coming into the market you already touched on some of the percentages um how what is the impact at the end of the day for quality of care you mentioned there was one device you were it was oh, a real yes. shame that that uh bioheart yes. yeah bioheart um mm-hmm. So maybe you could go into a little bit of that, but I'm also curious if you can quantify or just however you'd like to talk about how is me as a person that goes to the hospital, uh, how in the end, how is it affected by this process? What, what are we missing out on? Or, or alternatively, what is happening correctly? So care is an interesting topic, right? because there's components of that. There's the tools you can you have access to. Right. There's the skill and experience of the person doing the job and then the environment they have to work in. And, you know, grading out care to me is not, uh, that's, that's a, all those, those variables are fairly simple. One could argue if you have enough talent, experience and skill on your team, some of those other things matter a lot less. Like if you take uh, a highly skilled staff with some highly skilled doctors, they can do a lot with very little. Now they are hamstrung for sure in terms of how they do something. Um, And maybe they have to take more risk in one area versus the next. So maybe that impacts healing time or something of that nature. but again, I, I think when we look at care in our country, I believe we get a bit of a bad rap. I've, I've been exposed to some phenomenal professionals that are brilliant minds um, that I believe, you know, under most circumstances could deliver good care. So, but what is the perception of the patient? 
because that's what on some level care is about right right like if you had the most brilliant surgeon but the guy or gal was kind of a jerk and they didn't take very good emotional care of somebody they just came in there and did their job and they're very stoic and and had no bedside manner is that care good (laughs) and so it depends who you ask like some that are that really matters they would say that care is poor yeah if you are looking someone that says, I don't care about how I'm treated or what it looks like, I just want the best, the one that can execute at the yeah. highest level and do the best job, they may look at the they may go just strictly to the outcome and say, Oh, that's really good care. Yeah. Like, I one of the questions I got a lot working in that space was from others around me, like, What, what hot school should I go to? Like, which one's the best? Right. Right. <laughs> And a lot of it, I graded out in two different ways. One, the, the experience level of some of the doctors. But then second is the decision makers and what are they spending money on? One of the challenges I think that some of the um, hospital systems face, and this is a bit of a joke, but it's kind of not, is you can't, you can put names on buildings, but you can't put names on band-aids. You know, yeah. like the idea that, you know, when you, when you're talking about, cause a lot of these hospitals receive donation, that's a big part of their funding and um, source of their funding. And when you see that funding come in, you watch how it's getting spent and uh, it usually gets spent to things you can put your name on. And, you know, does that really help care? I don't know. I mean, when you walk into a hospital and everything's new and nice, do you feel better about your care? Maybe versus the opposite being the case. So some of it's perception. Uh, it's care is perception for sure. Right. To me, I just want the best. I don't care. I wouldn't care if a person had good bedside manner or not. Um, so I would just seek out the most experienced and, and see what they have to say. And quite often your most talented doctors are what I would refer to as medical engineers. Um, And for those that have been exposed to the engineering mindset, sometimes that doesn't come with a lot of uh, frills, if you will. It's more um, um, to the point, uh, right and wrong, and solution. And that makes some folks uncomfortable, but a lot of those talented, really talented doctors and surgeons like I said, uh, they have the engineering mindset. That's, yeah. they, they're consistently looking for solutions. Right. Um, but, you know, it's, I think sometimes care is a, a bit of a, uh, a personal perception right. to me. Well, thank you for that insight. That's very interesting. Um, some, some of the things I'm hearing for the first time, although we've had lots of discussions about um, the medical field as a, engineer, I'm always looking to try and improve things, which maybe comes off as being a little bit cynical. Um, But I appreciate you sharing with us and our listeners uh, your experience. Um, I would like to also